Thank you so much for joining me. My name is Paul Teese, and on this edition of uh, If Win, we're going to be talking about innovation as a service, and I'm delighted to count as my guest today, Kate Willison. She's our Global Innovation Lead at Jacobs, and Matt Stewart, a Senior Business Designer at Board of Innovation and the founder of Life Sprint. So Kate and Matt, thank you both so much for joining me today. Thanks. It's a pleasure to be here. Excellent. Well, excellent. So, Kate, I want to start with you. Um, and, you know, so the title of this episode is around innovation as a service. And so I think that's something that's somewhat unique to Jacobs, or it may not be something that a lot of people have heard about, you know, the concept innovation as a service. So I wanted to start with you and ask, how would you explain what that is to someone who hasn't heard it before? Sure. So innovation as a service, it's one of the tools we've developed to support organisational innovation. And so what we've done is in partnership uh, with Matt and Board of Innovation, we've trained and deployed a team of facilitators from the UK, the US, Poland, Australia, Canada, uh, and the Middle East. And those facilitators help our project teams and clients reframe problems, uh, to embrace diverse thinking, to explore and ideate, uh, to assess and prioritise innovation activities, and ultimately, obviously, to incubate and scale ideas more successfully. And they do this both in structured and unstructured ways. So they run sessions, both in person and obviously uh, in today's world virtually now as well. And that can be everything from a one-hour session over lunchtime to explore maybe sustainability ideas, or a multiple week long sprints uh, where they really dive into a particular product and solution. Mm. And then Matt, you know, so Board of Innovation was, was brought in to work with Jacobs uh, to help with uh, kind of enculturating uh, an innovation spirit. And mm -hmm. Board of Innovation works with a number of global companies uh, around the world. And you, you know, you, you all have built your reputation on the tools and services and, and thought leadership that you have there. Um, what, you know, what do you see are the key elements for successfully implementing an innovation culture? Yeah, thanks Paul. I think, I mean, innovation culture is, is hard, right? It, and there's a lot of like really interesting papers that talk about all sorts of different components that make up an innovation culture. Mm -hmm. um, and we all know it uh, from all aspects of our lives, how, like the dynamics between different people, a complex system, an organism that is a company uh, is not something you can just switch, uh, switch a key and turn overnight. Um, but for me, I guess like uh, the key things that I find uh, innovative cultures, like at companies that I, that I find really inspiring, one of the core things is always around empathy and customer centric mindset. Um, so that's obviously something which Amazon has grown to become uh, well-renowned for, but it's it's something that kind of permeates throughout the whole company. So when everyone is kind of driven to think about who the customer is, what you're creating that thing for is super important. Um, leadership, I think, obviously, it's 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 key, but I think um, that strategic direction and resourcing, and, and we always learn from those above us about what's important and what isn't. You only have to look at uh, leadership in terms of like the U.S. and elections or what have you. What you 
what people are doing above you kind of mm -hmm. really drives the way people know what's important for them to do. Um, and then I always think about accountability, but for the right things. So instead of just reporting for the sake of reporting, um, it's, it's really a culture that celebrates effort, failure, stepping stones and understands that it's kind of a journey. And then the final thing for me that I, I guess I see a lot in innovative companies is, is what I call collisions. So it's really like the fun part where you people inside the company get exposed to different people, different things, inspiration. Um, the fun part about innovation is that it's also creative and it's fun, even though it's important to have a structure around it. So having opportunities for people to learn from the outside, from the inside um, and cross paths and not be siloed is also a core part of that. Hmm. Okay. And then, you know, recently uh, Jacobs hosted a, uh, uh, innovation as a service facilitation training uh, that both you and Kate and a uh, number of other colleagues, you know, put together. And so Matt, let me ask you, what does successful innovation training look like? What are some of those key components? Ooh, so it varies also uh, that training that we run in Manchester, I think in February was one of the last in-person sessions that I did before we all switched our whole world and mm -hmm. trainings have become very, very different looking. Mm -hmm. um, but I think uh, what a successful training is still like a lot of things are similar. So for us, it's, it's everyone being able to walk away and realize that innovation can be rewarding and fun but it's also not easy um it's participants being able to like as you mentioned before pick up new tools mm -hmm. and have the confidence to use them already in a project that they have and that doesn't mean they have to take that out to a client but they just say oh, okay actually they're, they're group meeting they can they can roll out this tool um but the trainings themselves i think it's important that they're always hands-on i'm a big believer in learning by doing i i don't like lecturing mm -hmm. um much i think it's much better that you try something and you fail and then you rehash it, then, then um, too much time just sitting and listening. Um, and then also that it's, it's fun, it's fascinating. And that's the fun part about my job is that we always get to work on interesting projects, even when we don't quite understand them. But, mm -hmm. um, and then apart from that, I think another thing that, that's particularly important with the digital world now when we're doing everything remote is the format needs to be mindful of kind of human needs at the end of the day we're people we can't stare at a screen for too long uh we get hungry uh we need periods where we're intensely working but we also need to to chat and enjoy and have a laugh so i think mm -hmm. it also incorporates that human part hmm, excellent and then kate turning to you um you know a large part of your your role at jacobs is, is incubating new ideas, you know, and, uh, you know, once the colleagues kind of get the innovation bug and they start thinking like about how they can innovate, then it's how do we operationalize those innovations? And I know you're, you know, you're very hands-on things like the awards program where people are, you know, we're evaluating innovations that come through and, and also the incubation of ideas. Why is it important for an organization to promote an incubation program, do you think? I think there are, look, several reasons why it's really important to do that. Hmm. I think going back to one of Matt's earlier points about how you create an innovation culture and what that actually looks like, you know, one single innovation uh, program won't cut it one program doesn't make an entire culture. 
but there are lots of challenges that people face internally within large organizations that can act as barriers to innovation. Mm. And you do need some formal programs, I think, to overcome them. So in a consulting environment where people are delivering projects for clients, often you know, they're challenged by their day job. They're busy delivering and they find it difficult to have the white space that they need to really ideate and explore these new ideas. And so the benefit then of a formal um, innovation program is that it gives people the time. Uh, it's about providing them access to the right resources. Mm -hmm. So for example, some of our internal uh, grant programs that we operate, yes, it's about giving people time and money to explore these things, but it's also about providing the context and the wider team. So mm -hmm. can we connect them to legal expertise that can help from an IP perspective? Can we engage our business and commercial professionals to help them think about their business models and pricing? And so it, it's really important to develop that community that is a system and acts as a network to help accelerate these ideas. Hmm. And then as a follow on to that, you know, Jacobs is, is a $15 billion company, 14, $15 billion company. We have, you know, North of 55,000 employees worldwide. Um, you know, so it's, it's a pretty big company. And um, you know, so what are the challenges and benefits of helping a mature organization such as Jacobs think and act like a startup? I think, yeah, lots of different challenges and benefits associated with that. Mm -hmm. um, I think, you know, in Clayton Christensen's book, sort of the innovator's dilemma, he expresses it really well, you know, as a mature business, we have all kinds of processes in place that mm -hmm. are there for a very good reason. You know, there are layers of um, bureaucracy, there are financial and accounting practices that we have to follow to be successful. But sometimes those things can then inhibit innovation and act as barriers, as I mentioned previously. Mm -hmm. And so some of the benefits about thinking and acting like a startup is really around that it's about moving fast. It's about moving quicker. Mm -hmm. How can we work around some of those barriers or remove them even temporarily so that people can sort of unleash their creativity and work through these innovation processes quicker. And it's not easy and there's a real balance to be achieved, but I think there's ways that you can work around it. Can I just add to that, Paul, as well, especially working with Kate and you guys at Jacobs, like I've already just seen things changing even internally with, with like conversations you guys have around like billability, right? It's like mm -hmm. as a consultancy, the old model is like I need to be billable, I need to be on projects. And so mm -hmm. reframing that kind of reference around are you doing a good job? Do you tick boxes? is hard and then the other one is and you guys are obviously very good at it through the work that you do and from being a large company is risk um like you're constantly managing risk in an excellent way and when you start to act like a startup you need to kind of lean into risk mm. in, a, in a different way where you don't avoid it mm -hmm. but you manage it so to speak you say you know what the risk is is this level so we can afford to put this much resource towards it 
uh, rather than just trying to shy away from it altogether. Yeah. And, and maybe to your point, Matt, you know, because you're a mature organization, you have maybe a longer scope or a, a, like a longer vision of that risk so you can make better informed decisions than say a startup who doesn't have that. But, you know, the startup is, of course, they have that more aggressive, you know, risk embracing mentality. So, um, you know, it's just a matter of being able to, like you said, lean into that. Um, now, Matt, what are some of the best practices you've witnessed of organizations who have implemented a robust innovation program? Um, so there are obviously like a lot of good examples out there. Um, some recent ones, I guess, that I've been uh, delving into a bit more or, or rehashing is one is like Nike, which is like when you tie back to uh, a company that continually is able to reinvent itself and where it sits, that, that place uh customer centricity is absolute core to what they do and i think in the last 10 years even they're, they're focused on uh like new developments that the number of patents they have i think is higher than uh like uh, pharmaceutical companies like pfizer or even ford um and so they're constantly exploring new things mm -hmm. um and and i think another thing that they do really well which i hope all innovative companies must do now is focus on sustainability as well um, so I think that they've kind of really uh, somehow managed to through that core process of customer centricity and that's constant exploration, uh, being able to stay ahead of that curve. Um, another example, which is a bit of an older one now, obviously, but is Lego, which I really love, which is really famous for almost killing itself by uh, just doing what we all said through innovation was meant to happen. Uh, but one thing that I love about um, the way what they really learned through kind of coming back from the dead was that you need to kind of know your value to the world and play within that space um, and continually create within there and don't stray too far away from what you really, really offer to the world. Um, but also partnerships, um, like who can you partner with to bring in to create synergy that can kind of get you past the next step to explore new worlds or, or to create new opportunities as well. No, I like that a lot. Cause it, like that example you said about Lego, I mean, it's really about being true to yourself, right? It's like not trying to be too many things to too many people or all things to all people, but really being true to like, what is it that made you great to begin with and being true to that. Um, so Kate, let me, uh, let me ask you, um, what is something you've learned about organizational innovation that has changed the way you approach your work? Ooh. I've learned so much. Where to start? <laughs> uh, for me, I think probably one of the biggest things is that it doesn't happen by corporate mandate. Mm -hmm. I mean, we often joke, you know, that the innovation team at Jacobs is 55,000 employees strong. Mm -hmm. And so instead of trying to centralize and sort of put a boundary around innovation functions such that it's seen as somebody else's job, it's constantly about asking ourselves, how can we ensure that relevant opportunities, methodologies, and support networks are readily available to all? Mm -hmm. And it comes back to the individual. And what I've sort of understood and what I'm committed to is then adopting these behaviours that support an innovation culture. And it's easy to say and harder to do. And mm -hmm. I've had to go on a change journey myself. 
So for example, you know, an experimentation mindset mm-hmm. is really important. And so I've committed to experimenting more and that can be as simple as, you know what, I'm going to run a meeting in a new way. I'm going to set aside 10 minutes and we're going to celebrate a first on this project. It might be using one of, you know, board of innovations tools to explore the potential for new business models. And going back to one of Matt's earlier points, experimentation can feel really risky because it can lead to failure. But for me, sort of what I've come to understand is that it's not about failure. It's instead about learning and then iterating. So based on what you're learning, you tweak something, you pivot, you persevere, you redo. And I've seen a fundamental shift then in how I approach problems over the last few years. Mm-hmm. Now, Matt, uh, you know, Kate just mentioned the Board of Innovation tools. And if, if, you, if you listening haven't had a chance, you can go to the Board of Innovation website. There's a lot of free tools that they, they make available and they're fantastic. Um, they're a lot of fun and they also help, help kind of get that innovation brainstorming going. Um, do you, Matt, have a favorite ideation tool? And if so, what is it and why? Uh, yeah, so yeah, absolutely. If you're listening, uh, all the tools are free on the website. Um, my favorite innovation tool that I like working with, uh, with people on is actually, it's called opposite thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a relatively simple tool, um, that, that kind of follows a, a simple process where you start by mapping out all the assumptions, all the obvious assumptions you have about a certain topic. So let's say for example, where trying to reduce loneliness amongst the elderly because during COVID uh, it's very difficult for them to relate with other people. Um, And then uh, what you do next is you take these obvious assumptions that you have. So for example, we say, oh, uh, elderly people are not so good with technology. Uh, And then uh, the next thing you do is you flip it. So you make, you say, you imagine it's a world where it's actually the opposite of that. Um, let's say, for example, elderly people are actually whiz kids at technology. They're up with everything in that, um, just as an example there. And what you do then is you, you say, okay, if this world is true, what's different about the world? How has that happened? What's changed and what can we learn from it? And one of the things that you often find is that, one, you have a whole bunch of assumptions about the system that exists that are not necessarily true. For example, um, if I told you, 10 years ago, uh, what, a, what if uh, all songs in the world could be uh, available to you at a subscription? Like that would just be such a mind boggling thing. And so by, by switching obvious assumptions to be the exact opposite, you can often find a world where new possibilities are available that you may not have thought of. Hmm. And then Kate, the same question for you. Um, you know, you've been, you've been working very closely with Matt and the board of innovation team for some time now and have been running these workshops. Do you have a, a favorite ideation tool and what is it and why? So following on from Matt's discussion about assumptions, mine is something called the assumption mapper. So I find myself using this on a weekly basis And it's all about, A, you first need to understand what assumptions have you made about a particular situation or a solution. It's also a good reminder to test those assumptions with other people. 
what assumptions might I have missed or because I'm so embedded in a situation, I just simply can't see. So once you've then got a list of your assumptions, it's then about mapping them. Are they important assumptions or not important? Are they difficult to test or easy to test? And it's just a really simple matrix. And so for those assumptions that are easy to test and that are important, so, you know, a killer assumption, if it's true, it might kill this idea mm -hmm. and it's easy to test. Well, you've got to get out of the building and test it now. Do you have any examples, Kate, of like any assumptions that you've uh, recently been, uh, you've realized was wrong that you had on a project? That's always interesting, I find. Probably there was an assumption, uh, there was a product that I've been involved uh, with developing. And one of the assumptions was around, uh, well, people, once they start to use the product, mm -hmm. they'll continue to the conclusion. So it, part of this product is, it, it's a solution that helps you work from work your way from A to B through a process. Mm -hmm. And the assumption was that, well, once they've started at point A, they'll just continue through to the very end. Mm -hmm. And so when we actually went out and tested it though, what insights came back was actually, well, a bunch of people were dropping out halfway through mm -hmm. and not coming back to the process. And we were then able to explore, well, why was that the case? What was leading them to do that? And we were able to have those conversations and find out why, which gave us some really rich learning that we were then able to pivot um, our idea in a new way. That's awesome. I think like, that's always so fascinating for me, like some of the, the craziest assumptions come in different contexts. Like mm -hmm. uh, I did a project in Zambia last year when we were looking at insurance for the poor, basically people who, who had limited incomes and we were focusing on people in markets. And so the assumption was from the insurance companies we were working with is that these guys don't really understand risk. Mm -hmm. And so they needed to probably educate them on what risk was in order to convince them that this micro insurance product was useful. We went out and spoke to them and they knew more about risk than these insurance people ever did because they're <laughs> constantly worried about a fire happening, about the corrupt officials coming in. They're always on the edge of like some kind of thing happening that can kind of turn their whole operation and risk their family. And so it was, it was super interesting to also see that where the insurance companies were just blown away by going, you know what, our whole messaging is wrong. These guys understand uh, they need it. They, don't just, they just don't necessarily trust that what we're offering can solve it. So it's really That's cool. interesting because it's like you, you uncover bias and then you also, you uncover like, you know, you, you've got blinders on in terms of like your, your, your worldview or your, you know, like your strategic uh, roadmap and like you know so if you don't take those if you don't you know really kind of question those sacred cows as it were whatever you may not uncover that kind of you know those learnings like Kate said you know and it's it's all about it's it's not a failure if you learn something right you know if you can if you can get better because of the experience right so totally. 
Well, Kate and Matt, I really appreciate you uh, taking the time to sit down with me today and educate me and our listeners about innovation as a service and you know some of the exciting stuff that we are doing. Um, if you're looking for more information, I invite you to look on the jacobs.com website for our Beyond If program, where you can learn more about what Jacobs is doing in the innovation space. And then also uh, check out Board of Innovation. Like I said, they've got just a, a battery of tools and reports and just all kinds of fascinating things about organizational innovation and creative thinking that uh, will really be a benefit to uh, whatever project you might be working on. So thank you both very much. Thanks so much, Paul. Thanks, Paul. Thanks, Matt.